did Jesus have to die? Why was it necessary that Jesus would die? I mean, if God is God, and God has all power and all authority and all love, and is merciful and gracious, then why did Jesus have to die? If God has all that power and all that authority and all that grace and all that love, why did he not just forgive us? And that's all he needed to do. What would it say about a God who would send his son to go through the cruelty of crucifixion on the cross? Go through the agony of having his back ripped open by the Roman scourges. Having the excruciating pain of having his wrists and his feet nailed to a wooden beam. Why did Jesus have to die? This morning I was and I want us to think about that question from the perspective of what do I do about the fact that Jesus died and died on the cross? What does that mean for me and for my life? Let's explore, first of all, the need for Jesus to die and then think about how I respond to that sacrifice. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, think about the need. Let's begin by looking at Romans chapter 3. And in Romans chapter 3, Paul describes for us my state of being. And I dare say probably at some point in your life, your state of being. Notice what Paul says, Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. Paul says, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Being the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. There is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift by his grace through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, that is, an atoning sacrifice, in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is a powerful passage because, first of all, it describes my state of being. That I have sinned and I fall short of the glory of God. Even though God created me, and he created me without sin, I have chosen over the course of my life to sin against God. And maybe I did that in ignorance. I wasn't aware of God. Some people might not be aware of that. That's how Paul opens up the book of Romans. But you see, for most of us, we have an inkling of the idea of a God, a creator. And Paul says, look, the reality is that our sin has separated us.
some folks or crazy folks. And they like to go to places like Mount Hood and Mount Everest and climb to the top of the mountain. Those are crazy people of mine. Right? <laughs> uh, I mean, why would you spend all this time and all this training to, to, to get to the top of the mountain? I know it's pretty. I know it's gorgeous. That's a lot of work. I'm never going to climb to that height. I'm certainly never going to be able to climb to the height of being able to be in the presence of God and glory because I fall short because what has happened is my sin has separated me from God, from the one who made me, from the one who created me. And so there is a problem, and the problem is my sin is in the way of being able to stand in the presence of the one who made me. And so Paul says God had a plan. And God's plan shows his righteousness, his faithfulness to me as his creation. And that faithfulness is that there had to be an atoning sacrifice. There had to be something that would pay for my sin. And Paul says what that was was the person and the sacrifice. As we look again at the text here in Romans chapter 3, he said that God displayed publicly as a propitiation, displayed Jesus publicly as an atoning sacrifice, a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. I have faith that the blood of Jesus is going to be able to cause God to go over my sins, to look over my sins, to forbear my sins. And maybe the imagery that we get here is when we think back to Israel, way back there in Egypt, and God said, I want you to take the blood of the lamb, and I want you to wipe it on the door frames of your houses, and the angel of death is going to come over the land of bondage. But when it sees that blood of the lamb on the door, you're going to be saved. And the same way as I look forward to the blood of Christ, I see the blood of Christ over the door of my heart and over the door of my mind. Through faith, Paul says, God forbears, passes over my sins that I commit. And so Jesus had to die. And Paul says that Jesus, through his blood, through his sacrifice brought us back into a right relationship with God. Turn over two chapters to Romans chapter 5. That's what it says beginning in verse 6. He says, for we were still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we will be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God for our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. 
Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Now catch this. Because all men you see, I stand in jeopardy of spending an eternity with God, not because my dad sinned, not because my grandfather sinned, not because someone a hundred generations earlier sinned. I die because I sinned. I die because I chose to separate myself from God. By sin. And Paul says, but God had a plan for that. And that plan was that if I am in Christ Jesus, I can be reconciled. I can be brought back to a right relationship with God. How is it through Christ? It's through Christ because of his blood. Notice again verses 9 and 10. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. That is, through Jesus. For if while we were yet enemies, or while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. When we ask the question, why did Jesus have to die? God's almighty, God's all-powerful, for God's all-loving, if God's all merciful, if God's all gracious, why didn't he just say up in heaven, I'm going to forgive them all? And the answer is, we all separate ourselves from God by our sins, and there had to be a repayment of the debt that was occurred or incurred when I sinned. You see, the debt that incurred when I sinned was my own debt, spiritually. And somebody had to pay that debt. And God's love is demonstrated towards us, Paul says, by the fact that he sent his son to pay that price. To redeem us out of sin. So that we can be reconciled, brought back into a right relationship with God. And that was God's plan. But you see, as we look in Romans chapter 3, and as we look in Romans chapter 5, what Paul says is, this holds true for those who are in him. And so the question for us is, well, how do I get in him? How do I get in Jesus? What's the connection between Jesus' death and being in him? What's the connection with being with, with Jesus' death and my forgiveness of sins? What is it that connects me to Christ? And so Paul's talked about it in Romans chapter 3. He's talked about it here in Romans chapter 5. And he continues the discussion as he moves into Romans chapter 6. And notice what he says here in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So Paul turns his question rhetorically to his audience of Christians living in Rome. And he says, how can we continue in sin? Saying, look, God's gracious. Who's going to cover me? Isn't God great? Isn't God gracious? Isn't God lovely? Isn't great? God, God so kind that, that I can keep on sinning? And he's going to keep on forgiving. 
Paul says, how can you say that? Because you've died to sin. You see, you're reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. You put away a lifestyle of sin. So how can you continue to live in sin? You die to it. Well, Paul, how do I die to sin? What connected me to Jesus? It continues in verse 3. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, notice that, baptized into Christ Jesus. What did he say, chapter 3? What did he say, chapter 5? We have been saved through him. We have been saved in him. How do I get in him? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? You see, when I'm baptized, I am now connected with Jesus' death. I am now connected to Jesus' burial. I am in Jesus. But he doesn't stop there, verse 4. He says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into his death. So when I'm baptized, I'm baptized into Jesus. I'm baptized into his death. But then he says in verse 4, I'm also buried with him through baptism into death. But there's a purpose to it, Paul says, verse 4. So that as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in a newness of life. You see, when I'm buried with Jesus in baptism, I go down into that water, and I am connected. He doesn't say it's a symbol. He says, I am buried into Christ Jesus, and I'm buried into his death. So that as God raised Jesus from that tomb on the third day, so I too am made to be raised and to walk in the newness of life. I have a new life when I'm connected to Jesus through baptism. But that still doesn't stop there. Notice what he says. Verse 4. We have been raised from the death to the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. There is a purpose so that we can have that new life. And then he says in verse 5, For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So when I am buried with Jesus in baptism, I have that newness of life. But you see, just as I've been made like him in death, I've been connected to his death, so I also have been connected to his resurrection of life. And that's the hope of my resurrection. That just as Jesus was brought up out of the grave, physically and spiritually and had in the life, when I'm baptized with Jesus, my hope is that there's going to be a day when I'm going to be raised up out of the tomb and I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to be able to spend an eternity with Jesus. I'm going to be able to spend an eternity with God. Because my resurrection is just like Jesus' resurrection. We can go back to the Old Testament. We can see how God used Elijah to raise people from the dead. But they died again. We can even see how Jesus in his ministry raised people from the dead, but they died again. You see, the difference is they weren't raised in the likeness of Jesus' resurrection. But you see, when we're baptized, 
We are united with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So our hope is that someday I'm going to be raised like Jesus. Now I walk a new life on this earth, but my hope is I'm going I'm to be raised like Jesus and spend an eternity just as Jesus has with God in heaven. Paul feels it about this. Notice what he says in verse 6. He says at the end of verse 5, Certainly we shall also be with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who died is free from sin. Did you catch that? Did you catch that when we are united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, that we crucify our old body of sin? Not somebody else's sin, my sin. I have crucified my old body of sin. I've done away with that sin. God has done away with that sin. And I have died of sin. Now remember, Paul's question at the beginning of chapter 6 is a rhetorical question. How shall we continue in sin? Do we not know that those of us, or do you not know that we have died to sin? How did I die to sin? Now Paul says, here's the answer. You were united with Jesus in his death, his burial, his resurrection, so that you can have newness of life. You crucified that old body of sin, and you have died to sin. Baptism is what connects me to Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Baptism, Paul says, is what gets me into Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus, it's being through Jesus that we are reconciled to God. My sins have been away with. So I'm able to stand in the glory of God not because of anything I have done, but because he provided a way for me to be reconciled to God and a way was to be united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. <coughs> and to die to sin and have all those sins done away with. And now I'm able to stand before God pure. Not because I'm such a great guy, but because of his love for me. Because he had a plan before he even framed the world that these people are going to mess up. I'm going to give them a choice. I'm going to allow them to do what they want to do and allow them to have choice. And someday, some of them are going to want to come back to me. And here's my plan so that they can do that. And that was Jesus. His death. As we continue looking at Romans chapter 6, Paul now describes for us the idea of repentance that goes along with baptism. Notice what he says, beginning in verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall no longer, or shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Paul describes for us 
the change of mindset, the change of thinking, the change of lifestyle that says, you know what, I used to live for myself. I used to live for whatever pleased me. I used to live for whatever pleasure I could get out of life. That's what drove me. That's what guided me. That's what I was thinking about. But now that I've been united with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, I am living not for self, Have you ever wondered why, when we turn over to Acts chapter 2, as Paul, or excuse me, as Peter rather, is talking to those Jewish leaders and the Jewish crowds there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost? He tells the story of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus and the fact that Jesus is the Messiah that both of them have been looking for. The crowds finally hear the sermon and they ask Peter, What shall we do? And he says to them, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. There's two parts to that statement. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Repentance requires me to make a mental decision. I have sin in my life, and I'm going to turn away from it. The Greek word for uh, repentance, and noao, means to turn around or to change the mind. That requires me to be able to make that decision. A little baby can. Small child can't make that decision. My mind has to be developed enough that I can abstractly grasp the idea of what sin is and how it separates me from God. It requires me to be of an age where I can realize, you know what, I've blown it. Now maybe I'm young enough that the I've blown it is I've lied to mom and dad. Maybe the I've blown it is uh, I've talked disrespectfully to mom and dad. For many of us, it's much bigger than that. But you see, repentance requires you to be able to say, I sin. Remember what Paul said back there in Romans chapter 5, verse 12? All men have sinned. All men die. Why? Because somebody else died? Because somebody else sinned? No. All men die because all have sinned. You see, I'm guilty of my sin. And it's my sin that separates me. And I've got to be able to recognize that and say, I want to live for God. It's something very similar to what Peter says someplace else. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. Peter is talking about uh, the work that Jesus did. And, and quite frankly, 1 Peter chapter 3 is a hard chapter. Because it talks about the fact that, that Jesus even went and preached to the souls that were alive during the days of Noah. How did he do that? This is a hard passage. But when we get to verse 20, it becomes a little bit easier because he's just talking about the analogy of the flood of Noah and the waters of Noah's flood. Noah's flood. But notice what it says, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. It says, Those who were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few people, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. And notice verse 21. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, 
after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. Peter says, without any mistake, baptism now saves you. How does it save me? Because I've washed away dirt from my body? No. Does it save me because I'm so good I deserve it? No. It saves me because baptism is an appeal to God for a clean conscience. How did I get that clean conscience? I got that clean conscience because Paul says in Romans chapter 6, when I've been united with Jesus in his death, his burial, and his resurrection through baptism, I have crucified my old body of sin. I've done away with that sin. Or more correctly, God has done away with that sin through the blood of Jesus. And the hope I have, Paul says, Peter says, is bound to the resurrection of Jesus. I have a new life. Not because of what I've done, but because of what God And I change my mind and I say, I'm going to live for God. Think what Peter said in Acts 2, verse 38. Repent and be baptized. I choose to live for God. What does he say in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21? Baptism now saves me. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. But an appeal to God for a Jesus 
wants you to be reconciled to God. God wants you to be reconciled to Him. He loves you so much that He provided everything you need to have a right relationship with Him. Can you imagine what it's like? Leaving this world with its troubles, its temptations, its struggles, and being able to spend an eternity with God being able to live in his house. Sometimes we quote the parable of Jesus. We quote it with our King James translation in mind, which says there are many mansions. Really, it says there's many rooms in my father's house. I like that better because in my father's house, I don't have to mow the lawn. I don't have to do the upkeep. If I have my own mansion, I've got to do that, I suppose. But you see, it's even better than I get a room in my father's house. Isn't that going to be awesome? But to be, I need to be reconciled to God. And in order to be reconciled to God, I need to be in Jesus. And to be in Jesus, I need to be united with Him in His death, His burial, and His resurrection. Through baptism. And crucify that old body of sin and come up out of that watery grave with a newness of life, a new mindset that says, I'm not going to follow self, I'm going to follow God.